So it turns out seeing that many, perhaps all, of the calorie restriction studies in rats and mice in which lifespan was extended are also intermittent fasting studies. So the way it's done is all of the food is given to the animal, the rat, at the same time, just all at once. Mm -hmm. And when they're calorie restricted, it turns out they eat all of that food within four to six hours. So they're actually fasting for up to 20 hours each day. No one looked at that. They just give the animals the food all at once and say this is calorie restriction and didn't really think about the fact that they're eating all their food in a short time period and they're actually fasting each day. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Mark Madsen. Mark is a professor of neuroscience at John Hopkins University and is known for his research on intermittent fasting. The National Institute of Health considers him one of the world's top experts on the potential cognitive and physical health benefits of intermittent fasting. Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, it's nice to talk to you, Seam. Yeah, uh, I uh, I think uh, like you're one of the f- one of the first people who uh, started researching intermittent fasting as a, like a more co- uh, as comprehensive as you did. So uh, can you tell us like a little bit about your background as an as a scientist and uh, how you got into fasting? Uh, yeah, as you indicated, I'm a neuroscientist, and originally, I most of our work was aimed at understanding how uh, nerve cell circuits form during development of the brain, what are the signaling pathways, and we were discovering that neurotransmitters regulate the growth of axons and dendrites and the formation of synapses. Uh, And then one of the neurotransmitters, actually the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain is called glutamate. Mm -hmm. It's an amino acid neurotransmitter. Uh, turns out that in epilepsy, and we think also to some extent in neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases, and even in acute brain insults such as stroke, uh, there's an uh, overexcitation of neurons. Glutamate is still activating its excitatory receptors under conditions where the nerve cells don't have enough energy or are otherwise compromised. And so this is called excitotoxicity. Uh, and we did a lot of work trying to understand what leads to the degeneration of neurons in this excitotoxicity process and found there was a major role for calcium. And we got interested in death of nerve cells then. And then I kind of switched a little bit, but not really completely, uh, switched to studying brain aging and neurodegenerative disorders with the notion being that um, if we can understand what goes wrong, that leads to dysregulation of calcium in neurons, then maybe we can protect the neurons during aging. Um, 
And then in the 1990s, when I was a professor at the University of Kentucky, we asked the simple question, can a, uh, a manipulation that increases lifespan of rats or mice uh, modify the disease process in experimental models of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and stroke? And we settled on an intermittent fasting regimen in which uh, the rats or mice fast for 24 hours every other day. So 24 hours, no food. The next day they have food 24 hours. Keep repeating that. If that started when the animals are young, they live up to 50% longer than they normally would. Wow. And so what we do is we just take rats or mice, divide them into two groups. One group would be on every other day fasting. The control group would have food every day. And then we would um, uh, subject the animals to conditions that we think are occurring in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and stroke. Uh, sometimes it involved neurotoxins. Sometimes it involved genetic models in which, for example, in the Alzheimer's disease models, the mice accumulate amyloid in their brain and they have cognitive impairment. In the Parkinson's models, the animals have degeneration of the dopamine-producing neurons and then they therefore have difficulty in controlling their body movements. And then stroke, we just occlude an artery in the brain transiently, so kind of like a clot forming and then resolving and we get reliable damage to the brain. In all of these models, the animals on intermittent fasting had better outcomes. They had functional outcomes, their cognition was better in the Alzheimer's model, their motor control was better in the Parkinson's model and the stroke models. And then when we looked at the brains, uh, there was less degeneration of neurons. So that's, that was really our first um, studies on intermittent fasting in animals. And then from there, we just took off looking at molecular and cellular mechanisms that might explain these, mm -hmm. uh, what turn out to be quite dramatic neuroprotective effects of intermittent fasting. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really fascinating, and uh, it's been like a pretty long time where you have uh, done the research as well as like looked at how how the uh, science progresses of the understanding about intermittent fasting. Uh, so, like maybe like what what's the current state of the understanding of uh, research about intermittent fasting uh, as of like two thousand twenty? Well, so. Uh, in both laboratory animals and humans, uh, and in humans, it's mostly been studies in overweight humans who are, uh, they go on an intermittent fasting regimen where either two days a week, they only eat like 600 calories, the other five days eat normally. That's now called 5-2 intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. Or uh, another approach, which many people find to be 
quite easy once they're adapted uh, is uh, each day restricting the time window that they eat to say six to eight hours so that they'd be fasting for um, 16 to 18 hours. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, th there's a difference between like the alternative fasting and intermittent fasting as a, as a, uh, as is more, most of the time people use the term uh, time restricted eating as well to describe uh, where you do it, like uh, the constriction of the eating window. Right. So all of these are intermittent fasting. They're just different yeah. uh, approaches to, and the key thing is that uh, our research and, and others research suggests that one very important feature uh, uh, that defines intermittent fasting is that there's a time period with no calorie intake during which liver energy stores are, which is glucose essentially, mm -hmm. uh, are depleted. And then fats are released from fat cells and converted to ketones, which are, uh, in addition to glucose, another, in, in many ways, better energy source for cells. So the, if someone eats breakfast, lunch, dinner, an evening snack, uh, they may never deplete the liver energy stores because it takes about, uh, about 12 hours if someone's just normal daily activities, if they exercise uh, during that time, then that will accelerate the metabolic switch to fats and ketones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is true in a sense that uh, the conventional eating habits kind of keep the pe people in this uh, continuously fed state and they never really enable their body to tap into this faster state. And uh, yeah, that's, that's like a, in my opinion, like one of the reasons why there are so many like these diseases, metabolic diseases, and especially like obesity and such as well. So if uh, people were to just uh, implement the periods of quote-unquote, you know, uh, starvation or famine that mimics famine with some fasting, then uh, their health would also be, you know, a lot better. Yeah, so the, from an evolutionary perspective, uh, it's very simple to understand that animals in the wild, uh, our human ancestors before agriculture and, and uh, domesticating food animals, uh, they lived in environments where food was relatively scarce and they had to spend a lot of physical and mental effort to acquire food uh, for predators, for example, wolves is a good example. Uh, they may go a week or more without eating anything uh, and then they find a prey animal to kill. Um, and during evolution, wolves whose brains and bodies function well uh, were successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, pass their genes on, and I published an article on that touched on brain evolution and the notion that food scarcity was a major factor that, uh, if you will, uh, sculpted brain evolution, including the human brain. Mm 
-hmm. If you think about it, uh, all of the human early inventions and creativity, even for a long time, involved um, things that had to do with acquiring food. So all the early tools invented by humans were had to do with killing animals um, and or processing food. Uh, even things like language, uh, one can postulate, develop uh, under pressure of food scarcity. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I've also seen some research saying that, uh, yeah, like the growth of the brain uh, was kind of uh, happened. Most of it happened during this period where uh, there wasn't like this massively abundant uh, sources of food. So uh, that's why like makes sense from a logical perspective from the idea of logic as well that if you are forced or if you experience you know low energy and if you're like forced to uh expend more energy to search the food then your brain will also just gonna <laughs> improve its functioning and grow as a as a as a, as a like a because of necessity yes uh, that's exactly right Mm. What are some other ways uh, fasting and calorie restriction like uh, affect the brain? Okay, um, well, I mentioned ketones. Ketones are an energy source for neurons, but uh, recent work, uh, including some from my laboratory, has shown that the ketones can influence the expression of genes that uh, encode proteins which function to enhance the formation and maintenance of synapses and to protect nerve cells against stress. So ketones is one factor, but we think, uh, and this applies to our work on the brain, the extent to which it applies to other organ systems remains to be determined. But in addition to the ketones, simply, Activity in nerve cell networks that are critical for uh, motivating and enabling the individual to figure out how to find uh, and acquire food uh, are active when the animals in a, or humans, presumably, in a fasted state. And that activity alone in the nerve cell circuits, similar to the activity of muscles during exercise, the activity of neurons uh, when you're engaged in like, critically thinking about how to survive, uh, that activity in the nerve cell circuits activates many different signaling pathways that enhance the ability of the nerve cells to function and to resist stress. So. Mm -hmm. Ketones plus activity-dependent neuroplasticity. Right. So it's uh, going to make your brain grow new brain cells as well. Yes. And there's some evidence, at least in one region of the brain, that in addition to enhancing the formation of synapses, intermittent fasting and exercise may uh, increase the the production and integration of new neurons into existing nerve cell circuits. It's a process called neurogenesis, the 
birth of new nerve cells. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating that um, you know f- the fasting itself is a small stressor for your body, uh, but at the same time, if you t- if you take it in the right dose, then that stressor can just uh, yield a better response or a positive response by the body becoming more adapted to distress. So if you were to be like, let's say, a lot of people say that stress is bad, but uh, a small amount of stress can be good because your body kind of starts to cope with it and uh, adapts to the stress. So if you were to do no fasting or if you were to experience no stress, then you would uh, just under adapt and you would actually become like weaker. That's right. Uh, uh, When cells are never exposed to any stress, they uh, reduce their ability to respond adaptively to stress. And the analogy with exercise is, fairly good here that certainly during exercise that's a stress your muscles your heart your actually a lot of organ systems and but the cells respond in a good way and your muscles and heart and so on get stronger generally similar to with fasting although it's, it's at least in muscle cells much more dramatic in in the case of exercise mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, what about uh, BDNF? I've heard you uh, talk quite a lot about that as well, uh, which is like kind of this um, miracle growth factor for the brain. Uh, BDNF is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's been extensively studied, first for its important roles in development of the brain. Uh, I mentioned a started out as a developmental neurobiologist. And uh, BDNF, uh, as I mentioned, was discovered for its ability to promote the growth and formation of synapses during brain development. Mm -hmm. It's an activity-dependent neurotrophic factor. That is, its production and release from, uh, even from individual synapses, as individual synapses, is stimulated by uh, electrical activity in the nerve cells. Uh, and in addition to promoting the growth of nerve cells and formation and maintenance of synapses, BDNF uh, protects nerve cells against uh, bad stresses, if you will, uh, free radicals, um, uh, impaired um, Energy metabolism, for example, occurs dramatically in a stroke. And um, it also recently has been shown, BDNF that is, to increase the production of antioxidant enzymes, the Mm. proteins in cells, including nerve cells, that get rid of free radicals. And then also uh, intermittent fasting as well in exercise, uh, one major effect of those two mild bioenergetic stresses is to stimulate a process called autophagy, which uh, removes damaged molecules and even dysfunctional mitochondria mm-hmm. that, that aren't producing ATP, the energy uh, substrate mm-hmm. in cells. So anyway, Bottom line is, uh, I don't, it's 
miracle growth factor. Um, it's very important growth factor. I don't know if say yeah. miracle, but uh, it's certainly yeah. very important. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned uh, autophagy, which is uh, like this uh, cell cleanup uh, process, and uh, they've actually found that autophagy is one of the kind of the critical components of uh, uh, the benefits of fasting, as well as calorie restriction. So uh, it's also like linked to increased uh, lifespan because of autophagy. So calorie restriction doesn't really work unless you have uh, autophagy activated, and uh, you know blocking autophagy won't. And being in calorie restriction won't give you the lifespan extension effects as long as you block the process of autophagy. So uh, that's that's kind of a, one of the benefits of fasting is that yeah. you kind of guarantee the activation of autophagy versus with which which is not guaranteed with calorie restriction. Yes, and and uh, it's also important when one talks about autophagy to talk about uh, cell growth and um, which requires protein synthesis, the formation of new proteins from amino acids. And there's a, a pathway in cells called the mTOR, mTOR pathway. TOR mm -hmm. stands for target of rapamycin. Rapamycin is actually a, a, a chemical produced by um, bacteria. Uh, Think mm -hmm. bacteria, and it has been shown to uh, potently inhibit the mTOR pathway. And in mice, rapamycin increases lifespan. During fasting, uh, mTOR is uh, inhibited, and so what that means is the production of new proteins in cells. Uh, the overall production of proteins goes down, although the cells still produce proteins that are critical for their survival during the fasting period. Uh, but then upon eating after fasting, uh, okay, so remember that fasting increases autophagy, clear, clears out the molecular garbage. Then during feeding, uh, the cell goes into a growth mode, if you will, mTOR goes up, amino acids uh, are taken up readily by the cells. They produce new proteins uh, so that the cells can grow. So it's the cycling back and forth between um, bioenergetic challenge, whether it's fasting or exercise, and then recovery period, eating after fasting, resting, sleeping after exercise, uh, seems to, we think, in the long run, uh, uh, improve health and perhaps, uh, well, in some cases it's known, reduce uh, risk for many diseases of aging, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancers, and so on. Yeah. So this is an important point that has emerged from studies in my lab and other labs, this metabolic switching back and forth uh, on the one hand, enhances cell stress resistance, uh, and on the other hand, enables uh, growth. So mTOR is yeah, definitely one of those things that if you overexpress over it, then it can be uh, it can uh, cause like accelerated aging and just disease. And if you're eating, you know, like three to five times a day, then you're keeping mTOR turned on continuously. 
and you don't allow the body to recover and uh, recycle itself with autophagy. So that's why the intermittent fasting is again like very beneficial, especially for uh, longevity and anti-aging. Yeah, that's right. And also, interestingly, um, of course, overweight and obesity is a big problem, and that you know, it pretty much always involves you know obesity is essentially accumulation of too much fat uh, that that isn't really needed, and um, so at the same time, uh, muscle. It, it, it turns out overweight people may have trouble putting on muscle mm -hmm. too. And there's evidence emerging and this bodybuilders have known this for a long time. They typically don't eat breakfast. They do their weight lifting at lunchtime and then they eat a lot after that. They probably eat too much protein, which really activates yeah. them that way. But, Nevertheless, the, they found with this kind of intermittent fasting, then exercising at the end of a short fast, they can build muscle and at the same time uh, lose more fat, which, hmm. you know, their ideal. Yeah. For them, what they want is big muscles and very little fat so that you can see the muscles. Yeah, yeah, but like the, I would be, I would believe that that's what they did, like the old school bodybuilders used to do, uh, back back in uh, the last century, where they would yeah import incorporate some aspects of uh, either low carb ketogenic dieting uh, as well as intermittent fasting, and still uh, combining it with uh, resistance training and uh, that and that and such. But in the modern modern world, I would I don't really haven't noticed that trend like although intermittent fasting is quite popular even among the fitness community it's still something that the vast majority of people uh, don't do all the time they may do it uh, occasionally but it's not but it's not like still mainstream yeah so that so they're not necessarily doing the weightlifting in a fasted state uh yeah like may they may do it uh, every once in a while uh, but, uh, but it's not like all the time and i think that yeah, like if you if you are you know if your goal is to optimize uh, muscle growth <laughs> to the fullest, then uh, fasting can be. It's not like the most. Uh, it's not the best strategy for that. You can still do it, but uh, it, it takes more effort in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but for for like for the general population, I think it's the best uh, kind of way of uh, making sure that you don't overactivate mTOR and that you do get enough autophagy that. You, you do some form of uh, timer seeing every day. That's like pretty useful. Yeah. Uh, but do you think that, uh, you know, intermittent, intermittent fasting, uh, do you think that it can help to extend your lifespan? Like there are a lot of research uh, where calorie restriction extends lifespan in other species. But uh, what about fasting? Like I think that fasting mimics calorie restriction. But uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, of course, we don't know for sure in humans, but the evidence is emerging that uh, there can be one approach, particularly for overweight people, to reduce their risk for the main diseases that kill most people nowadays, cardiovascular disease, stroke, mm -hmm. uh, chronic diabetes and its complications, and, um, and cancers. So... 
from that perspective, one would predict that if someone switches their e eating pattern to intermittent fasting, it may help somewhat have them have a longer, healthier lifespan combined with regular exercise and a diet with a lot, a lot of diversity, but uh, avoiding simple sugars and too much fat, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, like there are, have, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons calorie restriction works is because of stimulating these certain epigenetic pathways like, such as like autophagy and sirtuins and those on but you do activate them while fasting as well and arguably you would do them even more profoundly and more more potently so uh that's why i think you can you can get similar effects with uh intermittent fasting uh and you can even do it with, with like a much smaller calorie deficit you don't you wouldn't have to reduce your calories that much if you do this yep. uh time restricted eating and that sort of thing yeah and yeah yeah that's, that's, and of course it's, it's also healthier and easier to do so to say that you don't have to essentially uh, eat like this very low color diet for the rest of your life no and for people who are normal you know healthy weight um you know it, it, it you don't want to get too light so <laughs> uh you know i particularly when they transition from their normal eating pattern to intermittent fasting for the first few months, they should kind of monitor their weight and make sure they're, uh, you know, I, I think most people will kind of adjust so that their calorie intake, overall calorie intake will not be reduced. Mm -hmm. But I guess there could be some cases where people, because they're eating during only a, narrower time window their overall calorie intake could be less and you know but that's easy to do you just yeah. weigh yourself um but i wanted to mention uh, what, what was i going to mention um oh so it turns out seem that uh many perhaps all of the calorie restriction studies in rats and mice in which lifespan was extended are also intermittent fasting studies and the reason the reason is as follows the way the studies are done for example you would take uh 20 rats and one rat per cage and you determine over a couple weeks how much food uh the rats eat each day and then you would divide the rats into two groups 10 in each group uh one group they eat what they did the same amount uh that's a control group and the other group you give them only uh say 60 to 70 percent of the calories that they would eat if they had food all the time and so the way it's done is all of the food is given to the animal, the rat, at the same time, just all at once. Mm -hmm. And when they're calorie restricted, it turns out they eat all of that food within four to six hours. 
So they're actually fasting for up to 20 hours each day. There's been recently, in the last few years, very nice studies uh, where, where they monitor the, the food intake. Uh, so for, for decades and decades, <laughs> and no one, no one looked at that. They just give the animals the food all at once and say this is calorie restriction and didn't really think about the fact that they're eating all their food in a short time period and they're actually fasting each day well well i didn't know that's like uh, i felt like the older studies were done with uh either calorie restriction or eat a bit fasting separately so so what do you what do you think uh, do you think that that it works because of the weight loss or is the or is the like the time restricted eating the unique factor? Which one is which one is like more effective? Yeah, we we don't know yet. Um, a colleague of mine, Rafa de Cabo at National Institute on Aging, he's doing some studies to address that mm-hmm. uh, now. Uh, and yeah, so actually, him and I are thinking now that there's an important contribution of this metabolic switching back and forth uh, to the lifespan extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the, with the metabolic switch, you essentially mean like going into ketosis and uh, burning yeah. through the liver's yeah. glycogen. Yeah, so what I'm saying in, in the simple terms is that calorie restriction studies in rats and mice uh, essentially use a da- daily time-restricted feeding regimen. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that w- w- we'll see what happens. Um, we do know, though, we did a, a study that we published in 2003 where with a certain strain of mice, when we put them on every other day fasting, uh, the mice uh, on the day they did have food would eat twice as much food as they normally would. So over time, they weren't actually calorie-restricted, but they were fasting every other day. Mm-hmm. And we found that there were very striking uh, improvements in, um, that were independent of calorie intake in, for example, glucose and insulin levels in vulnerability of nerve cells in their brain to, to cytotoxic stress and so on. And... Um, then in human studies, uh, in the studies that we collaborated with Michelle Harvey in England on that led to the 5-2, what's now called 5-2 intermittent fasting are based on those studies. Uh, the women, there was 100 women in each study. They were randomly assigned to 5-2 intermittent fasting, which is two days a week eating only 600 calories, the other five days eating as usual, uh, and then the control group, the women ate three meals a day spaced out, but each meal had 20%, 20 to 25% fewer calories than their normal, their usual calorie intake. So they were calorie restricted by that amount. And both groups of women lost about this, lost the same amount of weight over a six month period However, the women on the 5-2 intermittent fasting had greater improvement in 
insulin sensitivity and they lost more abdominal fat than did the calorie-restricted women. So that's a human study that dissociates at least two health indicators from calorie restriction. So those were dependent on, we presume, the metabolic switching. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's quite fascinating. And, you know, uh, calories themselves don't really matter only uh, in the context of a 24-hour period. They matter over the course of like the week and uh, months, so to say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty good. And uh, that, you know, I, I do believe that if you are like in a faster state more often or for longer, then you do experience like this uh, higher expression of these uh, you know, repair mechanisms with with autophagy and uh, as well as just just you know stress adaptation and so on. So you you do get like this more of a unique effect in terms of just uh, calorie restriction because even if you are eating, although it's calorie restricted, you may not necessarily get the activation of uh, autophagy and uh, sirtuins and those on. So uh, you may just miss out on some of the benefits, or at least they will be less profound. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there's another aspect of, of comparing calorie counting uh, to intermittent fasting that may be important. It hasn't really been formally studied, my knowledge, except based on feedback from subjects that have been in studies, and that's the psychological aspect. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and, and this applies... To, to long-term adoption of intermittent fasting as compared to worrying about how many calories you're eating every meal. And, and right. so um, for many people, and this makes a lot of sense, for many people it's easier just to, uh, to change their eating pattern and, mm-hmm. and stick with it uh, to intermittent fasting because once they're adapted, which takes about two to four weeks before they're no longer hungry during the time period they normally had food, then um, after that they don't really have to think about it every day. They, you know, that's their eating pattern. That's, or, or you know, what, whatever. If it's five to you know, there's yeah. two days a week. Whereas with counting calories, you have to think about it every meal pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so psychologically, one would think long term maybe it's easier, and you know we don't really have data. It's, uh, but intuitively it makes sense, and mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of feedback. For example, in this five-two intermittent fasting study, that that was a patient's feedback. Uh, just kind of informal feedback, nothing really, we didn't really quantify anything. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, once you get used to fasting, then it becomes pretty effortless and uh, easy. So uh, compared to calorie restriction, then yeah, it, it is probably a lot simpler as well as uh, doesn't take that much effort. And it's kind of more sustainable for most, pe- most people. And even if, the, even if the person is doing, uh, let's say, intermittent fasting and they skip meals and, you know, eat, even if they do, you know, subconsciously just uh, reduce their calorie intake a little bit, it's still something that uh, happens almost automatically and they don't really have to think about it. Uh, but what do you think about the aspect of hunger? 
So I uh, do have to be like hungry in order to get the benefits of the fasting and uh, getting, getting these uh, activation of these pathways. Mm, I would say no, and that's based on uh, the human studies in which after two to four weeks of switching the eating pattern, by a month, almost all of the people are less hungry or even not hungry at all during the time period that they had previously eaten. And um, yeah, and then after that, uh, but you know, your question from a scientific standpoint, so I would say because their hunger is much less or not at all after they're adapted to intermittent fasting and yet health indicators are still improved. Actually, it takes up to a month to really get clear reductions in fasting glucose and insulin and clear um, uh, reductions in markers of oxidative stress and inflammation. You know, that's maintained even though the person's yeah. no longer hungry. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the idea is that uh, fasting works as a stressor and the more you do it, the less of a stressor it becomes. And uh, therefore, in order to kind of get to the next level, so to say, then you would have to either mm. increase the dose, which would mean mm. to fast for longer and harder, or mm. to under-adapt to fasting, which would mean that you take a break or something like that but i think that it doesn't really uh you know you know i think it doesn't have to be a stressor all the time in order to reap the benefits so to say that you would adapt which is a good thing so to say that your body is actually more resilient towards the stress but you still get the benefits of of the stress so to say yeah uh again the analogy with exercise would be good it would be i guess the equivalent of you know someone uh, over a period of months, uh, implementing an exercise program, I don't know, you know, running, uh, you know, running for a half hour a day, and then they just keep that level and don't increase more either distance or intensity, but still they have health, really good health benefits. And, yeah. and they're, Undoubtedly, intermittent fasting could probably you could go do far too far, right. and uh, where you reach a point where it could be detrimental if you're, uh, you're fasting too much and your body weight is getting too low and maybe even starting to lose muscle. Although, you know, at, at that point you're getting starvation. And similar with exercise, it can be overdone and lead to negative effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the same with exercise, that if you were to stop running that half an hour, then eventually you would lose your fitness, so to say. You would lose the uh, cardiovascular fitness, and the same applies to fasting. If you stop doing it, then you will also lose some of the benefits. <laughs> and uh, to, to keep those benefits, then you have to do it uh, consistently. And, and you lose the benefits uh, quite rapidly. Uh, you know, if you stop exercising within a few weeks, very clear 
uh, elevation of resting heart rate and mm-hmm. perhaps even glucose going up. And it's similar with intermittent fasting. Uh, we did studies in rats where it's very clear that uh, within two to four weeks, the beneficial changes reverse. However, having said that, uh, the animal or person still has benefited from the time period that they did run 30 uh, minutes a day and from the time period that they had been intermittent fasting. You know, so even though um, health indicators may go on back in the wrong direction, the person has still benefited from having uh, yeah. had good had good metabolic health um, fitness during the time they did. Yeah. You just have to make sure that uh, you don't go back to like a crappy diet with uh, junk food and processed food. Yeah. Uh, what about these calorie restriction mimetics like, you know, rapamycin and uh, metformin? Uh, do you see any value in them and how do they, how can they complement either calorie restriction or fasting? Uh, So my view on this right now is that there's potential for these approaches that seem to, uh, to tap into some of the same pathways and mechanisms by which intermittent fasting improves health and longevity and may improve longevity. Uh, so what I, I would say is that there may be certain people who for medical reasons or perhaps this motivation that uh, cannot adopt uh, exercise program and, you know, that's, mm-hmm. or, um, change their eating pattern. Uh, But I think we have to be careful to avoid a situation where uh, we're we're substituting a chemical for exercise or healthy diet and perhaps intermittent fasting because none of these chemicals is going to exactly mimic the extent of the evolutionary conserved and complex uh, integration of pathways that are tapped into by exercise and intermittent fasting. Yeah. It's like trying to take an easy way out. And, uh, but but the problem is that the fasting is probably more effective uh, than the drug, uh, at least like in, in 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 you know healthy person so to say so they may work only for someone who is yeah unable to fast or exercise as well as someone who is like really sick and they kind of need this like quick fix yeah yep uh you know recently at the end of 2019 you published also like this review article on the effects of intermittent fasting uh, with some other researchers so uh, can you tell us like what did you conclude and maybe like some of the highlights. Uh, which article is that? Uh, it was the one in the British Journal of Medicine, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was in the end of uh, 2019 with uh, Decabo. 
Oh, no, I was in the, the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So the, the New England Journal is a very well-known medical journal in the United States, and I think well-known worldwide. And the editors invited us to write the review for two main reasons. One is that many physicians are being asked about intermittent fasting by their patients and the physicians often uh, may not know the state of science, both, uh, well, animal, but more importantly, uh, human research, which has expanded very quickly in the last five years. And then the second reason is that um, the doctors don't know how to prescribe and follow up on specific intermittent fasting eating patterns. And so the article would just summarize what's known, you know, a little bit from the animal research, but mainly from human research, and then practical aspects of how, how the doctor may interact with the patient to help them uh, uh, switch their eating pattern. <clears throat> yeah uh and uh, what were like some of the main findings ah. <clears throat> well the main findings are <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about it is that in humans overweight humans intermittent fasting uh can enable them to lose weight and improve multiple health indicators uh some or perhaps many of which are at least partially independent of calorie restrictions. So these are improvements in risk factors for diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and cancers. And then um, also there are now in progress and some published clinical trials of intermittent fasting in patients with different medical conditions. Uh, one example is a colleague of mine at Johns Hopkins, Ellen Mowry. She did a study in multiple sclerosis patients uh, where she put them on 5-2 intermittent fasting for a couple months and, uh, and found improvements in, uh, in their condition. And she's going to follow up with a study with daily time-restricted <coughs> eating. Uh, turns out that it's emerging that it's maybe easier for a lot of people to uh, do daily time-restricted eating compared to, say, two days a week doing a complete fast or nearly complete fast. Um, so uh, in the article, as a supplement, we put in a table that listed uh, many of the ongoing trials of intermittent fasting a lot of them, multiple trials in patients with type 2 diabetes, um, cancers, at least six different types of cancer, um, HIV, hmm. interestingly. Um, a lot of uh, people infected with the AIDS virus have uh, metabolic problems. They tend to 
gain weight, particularly fat. And interestingly, as they get even into their 50 years of age, they may start to develop cognitive impairment and even dementia. And there's evidence from our animal studies that perhaps they'll benefit. Um, so um, we're at a point now where there's a lot of interest in the mainstream medicine uh, from the standpoint of both you know, general health of their patients and even treatment of certain diseases in which one might predict based on initial animal studies and what's known about the diseases in humans in terms of the causes that intermittent fasting could benefit the patients. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe s slowing down the progression of the disease or uh, in the case of some like diabetes um, completely reversing uh, the disease so that the, the person is no longer has to take drugs yeah it's it's quite uh quite quite um you know uh easy fix for most people and it's not like that if, if effortful compared to like other uh you know taking drugs for the rest of your life is definitely something uh most people would find more difficult than uh doing some form of fasting yeah and the drugs aren't they're not for most diseases well i shouldn't say that i mean for example yes um there are drugs that can control blood pressure and cholesterol levels and these drugs certainly have uh, enabled people at risk for cardiovascular disease to live longer and avoid uh, heart attacks uh, but on the other hand they often have side effects um, blood pressure medicine actually can have adverse effects on the brain and the statins the drugs that are lower cholesterol at least some of them uh, are not good for the muscle and they cause uh, over a long time a deterioration of muscle so there there's no drugs that are without side effects and you know that's in moderation exercise and intermittent fasting seem not to have bad side effects and certainly have yeah can have good effects on health um, what about what about like the diet itself like uh yeah. what kind of a diet would be most suitable to do with uh, fasting uh I, I'm on board with Mediterranean diet type diets, uh, diets rich in vegetables and some fruits. I, I think whole grains are okay. Um, nuts, very nutritious. Um, some dairy products are good, yogurt and, and cheese in moderation. Uh, the fish story is good except for the mercury, but you know, fish rather than or at least uh, than red meat and avoid avoid what to avoid is really important too. And uh, in the United States, it's pretty clear that the problem with obesity 
emerged in parallel with increased consumption of simple sugars. A lot of those in, in processed food in general. At processed food in general and sodas and they, and the food industry, you know, they want people to buy their food or drink. And so they purposely make them so that they're kind of addictive. They're mm. highly palatable sugar uh, and, and fats, uh, and certain, you know, so they have chemists at these processed food companies that their their role is to make these foods so that if and even simple things like salt, a um, uh, lot of snacks, chips, and whatever pretzels and stuff, they have salt and salt. You you start eating with something with salt and uh, it's hard to stop. Yeah eating more um yeah that's that's like any anything uh can be bad for you if you overconsume it even like the healthy food so you can even get like uh poor health mm. from overeating the mediterranean diet and uh vice versa like if you eat uh let's say uh, a poor poor diet uh but if you do it in a, like some form of calorie restriction or intermittent fasting then you can mitigate the neg negative side effects so like the the poison is in the dose and uh, definitely like the timing of when you eat is also quite crucial uh, for uh, the effects or the final outcome of any particular diet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yep. I think I think a lot of the time it just, yeah, like the standard Western diet is so harmful because uh, people tend to overeat so many calories and uh, they do keep, keep keep themselves in this continuous state as well that they don't ever go into uh, this autophagy and a fast state. Yeah. It's, uh, and another aspect of this is that uh, the people in, in, in poorer communities, uh, they often... <laughs> Many of the healthier foods, like vegetables, uh, many types of fruit, are more expensive. Yeah. From the standpoint, certainly from the standpoint of cost per calorie than uh, than sugar or mm -hmm. you know, a lot of saturated fat, and so uh, they, you know. Which is unfortunate. It would be nice if everyone yeah. had access to the healthier food that is less calorie dense and but also has a lot of uh, <laughs> nutrients and chemicals that yeah. seem to be good. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, people pay more money for fewer calories, <laughs> which is quite, quite bizarre. Like, you know, the salads and uh, the kale shakes and those things are the, one of the most expensive. Uh, quote-unquote healthy foods just because they're deemed to be healthy and they have like low calories but uh, part of the reason they are helping people to improve their health is because they're so low in calories and they're not gonna overeat uh, but at the same time you don't necessarily have to be eating uh, these foods that are in low in calories if you are not overeating calories so to say you can eat uh, let's say these higher calorie foods such as uh, I don't know, like some meats and uh, fish and those things. But if you do it in a time-restricted time manner, then it doesn't really matter that 
they have higher calories because your overall daily calorie intake is still in moderation and you're not overeating calories versus the people who uh you know they think they need to eat these low calorie foods is because they're continuously eating they're eating like three three to five times a day and therefore in order to not exceed their daily calories they have to be eating these low calorie foods uh, versus if you're doing fasting then you can you can have higher calorie meals because the meals you have like the meals themselves are less frequent so to say um I I only agree partially with that. It's uh, if someone is eating, say the majority of their calories are from simple sugars, then perhaps intermittent fasting may help some, but it, it's not going to come. Definitely course, doesn't yeah. completely counteract. Uh, there's many chemicals in vegetables and fruits that interestingly the chemicals themselves stimulate cells in ways that are beneficial for health uh, I published an article on this in uh, Scientific American which is a popular magazine in the United States in 2015 and these chemicals in vegetables and fruits many of them evolved for the as if their role in the plants the reason they're in the plants is uh to keep insects and other and animals from eating too much so they usually have a very bitter taste mm -hmm. and some of them even have um you know mildly toxic effects but um since the animals evolved uh, and animals co-evolve then mechanisms to protect themselves from the potentially toxic effects of these chemicals and we could have a whole talk yeah. about this but essentially animals you have the same, you get the same effects or you get some health benefits from eating those vegetables because they stimulate yeah. your body's own defense systems and uh, it, it has the similar hormetic effect as exercise as, and fasting. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I do believe and definitely like uh, I do uh, believe that it works in this sense that, you know, eating vegetables, especially like these dark, darker vegetables and uh, wild plants, as well as even like coffee and teas, they have like a beneficial effect on the body uh, because of upregulating these similar uh, pathways as, as fasting and uh, calorie restriction. Absolutely, and the uh, coffee is a good example. It has caffeine, which, uh, if you were to take uh, pure caffeine uh, in solid form, put it on your tongue, <laughs> it is extremely bitter tasting. Hmm. Um, if you were to take uh, your coffee beans or ground coffee and put it on your kitchen table, uh and then i guess also have whatever uh a donut on the kitchen <laughs> table and then you put some ants on the table the ants will completely avoid actually they'll avoid the coffee beans because <laughs> they're very bad tasting because of these chemicals right we it's weird like that people uh would prefer the coffee 
or like yeah, I think like most people would still take the donut, <laughs> but uh, the people still drink coffee despite like the bitter taste. Yeah, and you you get adapted to it as well, just like drinking beer or something that hmm. you know first time someone drinks it, you usually think it doesn't taste very good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's a good. Um, point to start wrapping the, the podcast up as well so it, it's been great talking with you and we can definitely do like a follow-up podcast about hormesis and uh and other forms of uh you know mimicking fasting and such uh, but uh before i ask my last question uh, where can uh, people learn more about you and your work uh i'm pretty easy to find on the internet they can just google my name and um then, then the other, you know, if they want to really understand the science would be to go on PubMed mm-hmm. and just, uh, I'm the only Matson MP uh, and, and, and if they put in Matson MP and then the word review, R-E-V-I-E-W, then they'll just get review articles or they could you know, put in intermittent fasting because for the general public, I think the review articles, they can understand uh, some of it, maybe not all, but enough to, and also in those uh, articles are usually illustrations that, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. So those can help people understand. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes and, uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner? Oh, myself? Yeah. Ah. Uh, happening. Not working so hard. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. And then the other thing is that um not overdoing it i as you get old <laughs> right so i'm i'm recovering from injuries and surgeries from uh a, a mountain bike accident uh anyway i had quite bad injuries uh tearing muscles off my pubic bone and hmm. uh, it's been a slow process i'm still not recovered after it's been five months hmm. yeah yeah it's definitely like the body becomes uh, less robust uh, with age um but uh, fortunately, fortunately yeah. yeah go ahead yeah but, but with like uh doing exercise continuously is one of those things that can just uh protect against that uh that uh, frailty and uh keep yourself more youthful for longer well yeah but uh my point is uh Maybe as you get older, you need to avoid exercises that are potentially yeah. dangerous. For sure, for sure, that's true. And yeah, because your your brain, as you age, I think most people find you 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 think you're younger than your body really is, and so yeah. yeah. Especially if you're doing uh, intermittent fasting, then your brain is especially especially sharp. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. Sharp, but maybe not. 
cautious enough. Yeah, you you kind of underestimate your uh, reduced capacity for risky uh, moves and risky actions, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, super grateful for all the research that you've done as well and uh, looking forward to more of more of your research in the future. Okay, Sim, I enjoyed our conversation. Um, keep up the good work. Yeah, you too, and I'll see you around. Okay, bye. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Format podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.